What's up, Freedom Chasers? Are you, li- are you tired of living paycheck to paycheck and dreaming of financial freedom? Look no further. Our guest today is a self-made real estate millionaire who accomplished this in less than five years. Imagine achieving financial freedom at just 33 years old through real estate investing. For our guest, freedom is the ultimate success, and he believes that money is simply the vehicle to achieve it. We're going to dive into his secrets to his success and show you how real estate can help you achieve your own financial freedom goal right now. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers Six Figure Strategies Podcast. If you're an agent or an investor yet to hit six figures, this is the show for you. We take a deep dive into strategies to help you achieve the goal of six figures so that you can grow up to seven figures eventually. All right, guys, meet Hunter Mall. He is the CEO and founder of The Buildery, a full-service real estate company that specializes in wholesaling, brokerage, renovations, new construction, and they are big fans of the Burr strategy. They also raise capital for their projects. Hunter, serial entrepreneur man and a man of financial freedom. You're one of our favorite types of guests. Um, Could you just give us a brief introduction if I happen to miss anything? No, you pretty much got it, Tim. And thanks for having me on today. Um, I love what you guys are doing. But just like you said, I uh, looked at, you know, what's the best way to create financial freedom and freedom in your your schedule, your relationships. Um, and I found real estate to be that. So when I got an opportunity to jump on with you guys, I couldn't think of something I'd like to speak about more. Absolutely, man. Um, So yeah, I'm thrilled with how passionate you are about freedom. Were you always that way? Or is this something that kind of developed over time? Because a lot of people are just like, hey, I want to make a lot of money. And that's not necessarily the best goal, if you ask me, because I think freedom is far more important depending on your goal. Like if you want to be a vagabonder, you could be totally financially free with like five grand a month because you could live very casually all over the world. Um, So I'm just curious, like what drove you towards freedom instead of money? Yeah, that that's a great point. Money isn't the answer. Freedom is the answer. Money is the vehicle to it. But yeah, for the most part, I always sought freedom first. And for me, I started when I was looking at, you know, what kind of career you can get into when you're in college or in high school. And, and you might not be thinking all the way out these years into real estate investing and, and retirement or I'm not having to work. I found that through sales jobs. So when I looked at all the jobs that were available, I realized that if I worked a commission-based sales job and I was really good at it, no one was going to manage me. They just let me do my thing. I was able to take time off when I wanted to, as long as I hit those numbers and, um, could even have people do the things I didn't like, like the paperwork and the things like that if I was producing enough. And so that's what I did. I said, hey, look, I'm really good at doing this part. Didn't have to do any of the parts that I didn't want to do, which was freedom and where my time went and energy went. And the cool thing about that was, I feel like it was a good layup into entrepreneurship because you have so much full accountability in sales. And obviously in entrepreneurship, you do too, but you just own the business as well. Um, But yeah, for me, it was always looking in how can I do the things I want in the time 
that I have. Absolutely, man. Thank you for sharing. So you ended up choosing the avenue of real estate. At this point, you got like five verticals. I'm just spitballing here. I'm kind of close. I don't know if I'm perfect there. Um, which one did you start with? Did you start as an agent or did you start as an investor? And like, how, how did your career evolve over time? Yeah, really good question. So I actually bought my first property when I was 19. I was in college. Um, wasn't fully thinking I was going to be a real estate investor at that time. I just realized that I was looking at the same house and I knew what it rented for and I saw what a mortgage could be on it and it cash flowed. I didn't even know what cash flow was at the point. I just said, wow, it's a lot cheaper to own this place than it is to rent this place. Um, so I bought that property first, but uh, after that, I sold that. And when I bought my first property in Charlotte, I didn't have a real estate license and I used a realtor. But I knew I was going to get into investing and I was doing all the, the legwork and learning and, and looking for properties on and off market. But when I saw the commission the agent made on that, at that time it was like $18,000. He double-ended the deal. Obviously, the price of that property has gone up significantly since then. But um, I said, I never want to give that money away to anybody again. I can find the house. I can do the legwork. I might as well earn the commission as well or, or use that as a discount off of that. So right after I got that property, I got my real estate license and went to school for that. So that was the first thing. And then immediately I knew that I wanted to work with other investors too and surround myself with them. So I started doing agency for investors and then started buying properties myself and then started GCing in myself and, and hiring my own subs. And then later on said, hey, I want to start doing new construction. And I had kind of, you know, mastered a lot of the construction aspects that I could do without a general contractor license, but knew that that was going to be the next step. So I got my residential and commercial general contractors license just so that nothing would limit me in that. And, and I wholesaled some deals, you know, throughout that time as well. Absolutely, man. Mr. Hunter Mall was on a speed run there. That's absolutely fantastic. I love as a realtor, one of the first things you did is started connecting with investors. Like this is usually the advice they give to most new realtors. It's like, hey, you could connect with anybody you want, but typically they're going to buy a house every five, seven years. You know, these investors, you get 10 good investors buying five houses a year and they list with you. You get 50 transactions a year. <laughs> so it's a much smarter strategy. Was that what you were thinking when you started connecting with investors? Or were you thinking, I'm going to network, learn how to invest, and they just kind of fell on your lap? Yeah, that's a great question. So what I liked about looking working with investors was some of the things you said. One, repeat business. But two, it, it, it's simpler in that I know what an investor wants right? They want a property that they can make a profit on. And whereas a regular first time home buyer, a regular client might say, oh, I don't like the feel of this house, or I don't like this thing about this house that you as an agent really can't gauge when they show up to the home. With all my investors, I knew I could gauge exactly what they needed. I know they want to make a profit. 
So if I can find a house that requires X amount of dollars worth of work and I can buy it for this and it's worth this afterwards, it's very black and white. And I also knew I could create my own business rather than wait for people to come to me and ask to buy a house. If I could find deals, which I was already marketing for anyway for myself, if I could find deals, I could just bring them to investors that were buying. So I didn't have anybody to kind of wait on for me to earn my paycheck. So, um, and I still tell agents all the time that getting with investors is a, is a great way because it also gives you a skill set that works for general brokerage as well. Because when I go into a house, you know, I can go in the walkthrough and say, Hey, here's some things that are wrong with it. Or here's some materials that they use that are good or bad. Or, you know, this is an area that's going to appreciate a lot faster than these other areas. And you've got some agents, a lot of agents, frankly, who can't do any of that stuff. And it can cost your client a lot of money if someone thinks they're getting into a, a, a good house and they put a large due diligence deposit down, which we have in, in North Carolina. Some states don't have due diligence, but they put a non-refundable deposit down first and then later get an inspection and later find out that there's problems that I can walk into a house on a first walk and say, so whether you're just working with investors as an agent or you're working with retail buyers and investors, just having that investor part opens up so many doors and makes you a better agent either way. That's a tremendous answer. I agree with you so much there. It has made me such a better agent. Like one thing, I love to throw shade at other flippers because I could be like, okay, this is where they cut corners. Here, 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 and here. Um, and also, like I know code violations, man. So I'd be like, okay, so this is going to come up on the home inspection. This is going to come up on the home inspection and everything like that. It makes you look like an expert because nobody else is going to be showing them that type of stuff. And on top of that, if, if there's some repairs needed, guess what? I know how much it costs. So I'd be like, Hey, I know this looks like a big deal, but it's only going to cost five grand. It's like, Hey, I know this room looks terrible right now, but a fresh cone of paint, I promise you new paint, new floor. It's going to look like a totally different room. So try to use your imagination a little bit. And it, it just really opens up the game tenfold. If you know these things, because again, your competition doesn't know. Absolutely, man. So out of all the strategies that you're implementing now, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. So feel free to decline. Do you have a favorite? Like which one of these is your favorite income producing activity? Ooh, man. Um, that's hard because what I like about, you know, having all the knowledge and all the verticals, right, is, is just having all the avenues, like all the exit strategies, right? Um, so every deal I look at, you know, I'm just looking for a deal. It, it, this is a deal that works as a, as a flip, but if I want to keep it, it can cash flow as a long-term rental or a mid-term rental or a short-term rental. So I kind of look at every deal individually and figure out what's the highest and best use. And at the end of the day, like every house is my favorite house for some period of time, right? When you're looking at it and you get excited and you're like, okay, all right. And um, you're running the numbers. It's like, it's, it's your favorite in, in some period of time. But 
Burr is my favorite strategy for sure because the ownership aspect that you get there. And I try to keep it, you know, as many as you can because long term, I've seen people who have sold houses and made, you know, 100K on the house or maybe even more than that. But then the person who bought it held it for, you know, two, three years and they made more than the first guy, plus have better tax benefits for it. So, yeah, if I had to say one strategy, Burr is my favorite strategy. And now um, getting into doing like pop top second story additions or new constructions and still burring those instead of just renovations is something that I'm super excited about. I just bought a uh, one story house, 900 square foot house here in, in Charlotte, got owner financing on it as well. Probably one of my favorite deals I've done and we're gonna put a second story on top, make it really modern. Um, and uh, actually the second story is gonna be larger than the first story. It will overhang the, the first so that when you walk out the back door, you've got a really cool like living area, outdoor living area. And then also the numbers on that are going to work where I can burr that and keep it cash out more than what I paid for the property and the renovation. And it will still cash flow as a rental. So that's like kind of the, the perfect scenario for that one. Very cool, man. Let's talk about popping the top just a little bit. So I live in Chicago. Um, we got tons of bungalows here. Popping top is super easy. You just put some dormers up and boom, you got a second story. Um, typically when I see a ranch and they pop the top on it, it looks incredibly ugly because <laughs> it's just like this huge rectangle. It's kind of like a Georgian, but uglier. I know there's ways to do it where it's still visually appealing. Um, so can we talk about how that works? Because obviously it's probably a lot more expensive to make it look like a two-story originally if you're popping the top. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and I'm actually from Chicago suburbs myself. But um, you can really do anything you want, right? So when you're doing a pop top, depending on if your siding is brick or if you're, what kind of siding it has, you can match it, which I wouldn't do but you're taking everything down all the way to the studs and probably doing some reinforcing in the framing and also in the foundation. So what really you're keeping some cases is mainly just a part of a foundation and part of the framing. And from there, it's new construction, right? We're doing all new electrical, all new HVAC, siding, roofing, windows, changing where the windows and doors are, changing where the walls are. Um, so if you do it extensively, you have a new construction home, but the benefit is you don't have to go, you don't have to spend the money on the foundation. You don't have to go through all the same levels of inspection and, um, you know, you save you save that labor and cost and, and can build your own thing. And you can even do a pop top where you go up, you know, and you go back as well to create, um, you know, part of a new foundation and even extended living space. But you can make the, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference of a, of a new construction house and a pop top if you do it right in terms of the aesthetic that you're asking about. 
Cool. Thank you for answering that. Cause I've been thinking about it a little bit, you know, the Western suburbs, there's so many ranches out there that if you just pop the top, if you could make it look new, yeah, I'm sure it'd be worth so much more in like Downers Grove and places like that area. There's massive opportunity there. I've seen it. I just haven't acted upon it yet. So thank you for clarifying that for me because, you know, any any homeowner that pops the top, man, that house is going to look hideous. It's just, it, it's an addition and it's like, oh, I hate them. Um, <laughs> yep. um, so cool, man. I mean, let's talk about, because you have so many exit strategies, like to somebody out there that's only doing one thing, what are the benefits of being fully integrated? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, for me, I think part of it stems from just being a little bit of a control freak and um, also always wanting to be, you know, to be a continual learner. I just wanted to know every aspect of the business, right? Anything I didn't know, I want to learn so I can master that as well. But obviously, once you have that, there's a strategic advantage as well in that um, you, you save money, you save time. So if, you know, I'm doing a deal and I can buy a house off market, right, which is essentially similar to what a wholesaler would do. I know how to market for off market deals. Um, I know how to talk to homeowners and, and negotiate and make a deal on the property. Then if I can do that and I'm going to buy it myself and close on it, then I save all the spread that that wholesaler would have made versus if I bought it from the wholesaler, which may be 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60,000, or even more in a lot of cases. So you save that money. And then you know, that person's going to typically hire a general contractor to do the renovation. And that general contractor is going to make, you know, the same amount of money, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, and up thousand dollars. So if you can do that part, you save that money. And then they're going to list it with a realtor, right? To, to sell it if it's a flip and, or they're going to hire a property management, property management company to manage the property. And everyone's earning money in these transactions, but to be able to list it, to be able to do your own property management, one, it saves a ton of money. And two, it also gives you control over that process. And I would like to think I can do a better job than another realtor, another property manager, another general contractor. And so it gives you the result that you want with the quality that you want as well. Absolutely, man. So one of our guests, he's a big fan of vertical integration. He has a number, right? So he'll look at his P&L report, and if it hits $150,000, it's like, all right, time to start this business <laughs> so that I could offset that cost every year. Um, when you're looking to vertical integrate, do you have a number or do you just think, I'd rather not pay somebody else, so I'm just going to build this from the floor up? No, I don't have a, a number every time I just want to do all aspects myself also because when I got into doing this that was my dream and my vision from the start is to be able to grow a company to where like and going back to freedom right eventually that I don't have to be very much involved in at all right that I could not only you know the first step was me learning how to do all these things so that I can do them and then step two is putting other people in place who can do those things. So, you know, now I've got 
uh, construction crew full-time that, that work for me. I've got several guys who work for me full-time and a project manager who does a lot of that work that I used to do in there. I've got other agents that I work with who can handle listings and an intern who can handle um, paperwork and those kind of things. So I don't have to do them. And then having people who can, you know, find your deals for you, but all work under the same umbrella so that I'm just making higher level decisions. And I have that freedom that we're all chasing on this podcast. Um, so that's because of that. I don't, even if, I could have somebody else do that role for me. I would rather do it internally so that I can put other people in place to do those things who are people who work for me later and, and get away from having to outsource any aspect of that because it helps me reach, you know, my end goal, which is the freedom. Absolutely. You made a very wise choice there doing it. your first doing it yourself first, rather, and then teaching somebody else. I think a mistake a lot of people make is they just think, oh, I'm just going to do a property management company. I'm going to hire some VA. They're going to do most of the work for me and they're going to figure it out. And what they find is it's very difficult to train somebody to do something that you've never done. <laughs> and if they say they already know how to do it, guess what? You don't know if they're doing it wrong if you've never done it yourself. So doing it yourself first with the intention of hiring somebody to replace you as soon as possible, um, kudos to you because you made the exact right choice there. Um, so I'm curious because you have so many businesses going on. Like how have you managed to balance between building for the future while still living for the moment? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. That's a really hard one to answer because I mean, ultimately, the right answer to that depends on how long you're going to live. That, that's the hard part. That's the unknown in all this, right? It's like if you found out that you were going to die in a year, right now, the answer is like, just live freedom. Don't worry about earning money for the future. Just live your best life for a year, right? But obviously, obviously, if it's a lot longer than that, then you have to plan to have enough income to be able to have the freedom in, in those longer years. And nobody knows the answer to that. Um, if you do, tell me. But um, so the answer that, that I found that's best is to do both, right? Like you have to have a balance. So sometimes you're going to be sprinting, you're going to be working hard, but then make sure to take the time throughout to enjoy the present enjoy the moments and then always be working to set yourself up where you have that flexibility but mostly that you're doing the things that you want to do so like a, a great book a lot of people read you know the four-hour work week they kind of talk about this topic right and one of the uh, conversations or, or topics that are in that book is like the idea of retirement is fake that it's something that and that book was written you know more than a decade ago maybe two decades ago but he was saying that the retirement age is is going to go away because we have inflation that's eating away at at people's retirement so the idea of retiring at 65 is bs because the people who have that mentality that they're going to just work, 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 and then 
retire at 65 aren't going to have enough money saved up to do so. So they're going to have to work longer, which is what we're seeing right now. And the people who would have the ability to do that because they've done the right things throughout their entire life to be able to, to have that freedom, those people are intrinsically motivated people who want to work. So they're not going to quit working anyway. So really nobody's going to end up retiring. Um, so the answer he said was do the things that you want to be doing in the time you have. And that really resonates with me and, you know, all the things I'm doing in real estate, like I love doing them. These are my passions. So there's always going to be some entrepreneurial business that I'm doing that, you know, that takes time and technically is work, but it doesn't feel like work because you love doing it. So you still get that freedom and appreciation and, and love for the thing that you're doing. So, and then of the day, it's just spending the time the way you want to do it. Great answer, man. Um, I'm a huge fan of that book. I'm a huge fan of Mr. Ferris in general. Um, I think he referenced this in the book. Um, I read it about when I was 21, so it's at least 14 years old. But I think he referenced like the Walmart greeters in the book because retirement didn't work for them. And this was 14 years ago. Inflation's going up even higher now. Like the people depending on their 401ks now, they're, they're in for a rude awakening, man. Um, transitioning back to you, Mr. Hunter. So what does your day-to-day -day look like now? You're so focused on freedom. Like how much time do you spend working typically? And how much time do you spend going out and doing fun stuff? And if you're out doing fun stuff, what kind of stuff are you doing? Great question. Um, yeah, you know, the work I'm doing is fun. Um, so my days are, are full all the time. Sometimes I wake up, you know, I'm always going to wake up, I'm going to work, I'm going to check on my projects, talk to my employees. Um, and, but, but I take intentional breaks. So, I mean, this year to start out, I've, I've got, well, I was in, I was in Jamaica. Well, that was in the end of December coming into the beginning of this year. Um, just got back Monday from, uh, snowboarding trip out in Vail and then a conference in Salt Lake City for a few days. So that was, you know, time away, but it's, you know, intentional time. And I've got, I'm going to the Cayman Islands and the Bahamas uh, next in February. And also I'm going back to, to Breckenridge, which is a lot uh, a time away. So you really got to focus on the time that you're here. Um, and in a day-to-day, -day, it, it gets crazy. I, I invest a lot of time having intentional relationships with good people. So I've got a lot of coffee meetings. I've got a lot of networking that I'm doing. And then just managing all of these uh, aspects. And, and I actually have a, another uh, job. I guess you call it, then then one that you didn't mention here is I'm also uh, an executive for a solar company as well. <laughs> um, so, but I love that. I, I, I train people, I get to help people grow and um, invest in themselves and, and be better salespeople and better um, workers to be able to achieve the same things that I'm doing. So my days are super full all the time and it's just kind of, 
getting everything done that needs to be done no matter what and having that mentality and the time you have, but then also making time to enjoy the time that, that you have off too. And sometimes you got to set a strict boundary on that. And sometimes I do. And then sometimes it's just all just handling what's coming about. I mean, as a business owner, that's, that's the way you have to do it. Yeah, especially in real estate, man. Those problems keep coming at you, man. Yeah, you're <laughs> yeah, right about that. You, you, you get numb to them eventually. But I mean, when you're first getting started, you're just like, I thought this was going to be so easy. And then there's just problem after problem after problem. But eventually you learn every problem solvable. And eventually you also learn that um, once you solve the same type of problem 10 times, it no longer bothers you as much. So <laughs> very cool stuff. Yeah. You mentioned you're very intentional about meeting other good people and good real estate investors. So what do you think makes a good real estate investor? Yeah, it's a great question. So a great real estate investor is somebody who's solving other people's problems and people are willing to pay for that convenience, right? So I think that's I think that's the most important thing. There's because when you meet a real estate investor, even even myself, I, I get calls from wholesalers and people trying to ask if I want to sell one of my properties or something like that. They're just cold calling. And you, you kind of got two people who are making those calls or, or two people, let's even say wholesalers, right? You have this type who's almost taking advantage of people who don't know the values of their property. That's their, their sole way of making money is, is just kind of almost ripping somebody off for a property and selling it for more. And you have people who do that intentionally too. I've gotten calls where someone's, I had one recently on a, on a property that I'm flipping and they called and they said that they have done a, their, their, their exact words were that they had done a, they had followed all appraisal guidelines and they made me an offer on my house based on these appraisal guidelines. And what they were trying to tell me is that my house was worth X amount of dollars, which was roughly 30% of the actual value of that house. And I told them like, that is, that's so shady that you're doing that because I know, right? I know the value of the home, but if, if that works for you and someone believes that you are some sort of a licensed professional or certified person to tell them the value of their home, like that's completely unethical, right? So you can make money doing that, but it's going to catch up with you at some point in your life. You're not going to get ahead cheating. So where a what makes a good in real estate investor is obviously we want to get properties at good deals and we want to make a profit. We're all in business to do so. But if you can solve people's problems, that's where you're going to be able to have a win-win where you have someone who's really happy, even if they look back on it later on or can tell their friends about it or refer you, which actually that property, that was a referral from a contractor who knew what I do and knew someone who had a tenant problem in place. They couldn't get this tenant out. The tenant wasn't paying rent. They were just too nice and had a soft spot for these people to, to handle that. 
And I told them if I bought their house, I would find the tenant a place to live because that was important to them. And obviously I would buy the house and close on it and they wouldn't have to deal with any of the things that they might have to with a wholesaler who is just trying to sell a contract and might not be able to perform. So I was able to get that property because I had a solution to that person's problems. And the last property that I closed on, which was uh, literally the day before I went on vacation, because I wanted to, to close before I left, um, that owner finance deal that I'm going to do the pop top on, that one was a similar situation where the owner was a, a really nice guy and also a very intelligent guy. And he had these tenants that had been there for a very long time. He told them three months before the end of the year that I'm going to sell the property and you have three months to move out, but I'm not going to charge you any rent for three months so that you can get your stuff in order to be able to find another place because they were paying below market rent. And um, the people ultimately didn't move out on the day they were supposed to, even though he had given them those three months free. And we knew it was going to be a problem getting them out. So I agreed to buy the house with the tenants in place and handle that issue for him. And because of that, I got a great value on the property and he was even willing to own or finance it. Um, not the full thing. I, I, I paid about half of it down and the owner financed the balance, but that was because I was solving a problem um, for him and, and he knew I was going to do the things that I said. So that's the number one thing. If you want to you know, be good at this and whether you're doing brokerage or any aspect of real estate that you're solving people's problems. And also the second thing is being the best option for somebody. So you know, what is your value proposition as a real estate investor? Like, what do you bring to the table? Because if you're just going and making lowball offers to people, hoping that they don't know the value of their property, that's what anybody can do. There's no value proposition. But, um, you know, when I go to uh, someone who's selling a property, I can tell them, hey, look, I can make you an offer. I can close on your property myself. Um, on any terms that you want, I can deal with any sort of issues you may have. There's no no problem with the property I can't handle. And if for any reason I don't want to purchase your property, I can list it for you at the price that you want, and we can put it on the market and see if somebody else is buy, is going to buy it. Or I can send it to other investors I know and see if they want to buy it, whether you want showings, whether you don't. So no matter what the situation is. I can do it and I can do it better than somebody else. And that's the value I bring. And I would encourage any investor to say, you know, what is, what is my value and why should somebody choose me over another investor? It's an absolutely tremendous answer, man. I totally agree with you because when you come in with solutions to problems and you're able to think creatively, right? So you already mentioned you do creative financing. So that's an option. Listing at retail is an option. Wholesaling is an option. Buying a cash yourself is an option. I'm sure you've explored subject to if it's legal in your area. Um, so you, if you just ask the right questions, you could just solve their problem. And guess what? You have a very happy seller that might refer you if they happen to know somebody else in a distressed situation. And if you do it the other way, I mean, it's just you're asking for trouble down the line because 
sometimes people figure out that you ripped them off um, <laughs> and they're not happy about it. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's much easier. Um, I like to sleep at night. So I give yeah. people options and I'm just, I feel like a consultant more than a salesperson. It's like, Hey, we could do any of these things. I mean, I try to kind of lead them in the direction that they told me is going to fix their solution the most, but it's like, I'm happy to do any of these things for you. You tell me which one pick it and we'll make it happen. And it makes it a lot easier because they actually feel like they have a little bit more control too. Cause it's like, Ooh, I can do any of these. Um, <laughs> yep. Very cool stuff. Um, Hunter Mall, this has been tremendous, man. Um, if anybody wanted to reach out to you, what would be the best way for them to get in touch? Sure. Um, I'm, I'm not like an influencer or anything on social media, but I, I do have social media. So Instagram, I use the most. My personal Instagram is at Hunter B Mall. So it's H-U-N-T-E-R-B as in boy, M-O-L-L. I do have an Instagram for the buildery, my company. Um, it's just kind of getting up and going, but that's the dot buildery builder, like the word builder with a Y. And then my email, if you want to email me, I'm happy to help out anybody, answer any questions, look at any deals is hunter at the buildery dot org and buildery is B U I L D E R Y. Absolutely. There you have it, folks. If you want to reach out to Mr. Hunter Mall here, you have access to him. Thank you so much for providing that, sir. Um, to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom to accomplish one action at a time, I would encourage you, if you're the type of person that's just lowballing only, to try thinking about solving the seller's problem a little bit more than trying to profit. Because over a long enough timeline, you're going to make much more money if you're helping people than you are taking advantage of people. So consider that. Think about it deeply for seven days. Tell somebody you know that can help hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. So thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next one.